You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Oh, so Luke chapter 18. Let me tell you where we are if you just stepped into Bethel Bible Church this morning. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus this fall. And this is week 10 in our survey of Jesus' teaching through parables. And up to this point, most of the parables have had a similar pattern. Jesus will say, the kingdom of God is like this. And then he'll use something from an ordinary life, uh, an illustration that we would understand, whether it's, it's farming or or, or some aspect of life that we can touch and see and that we've experienced. And then he'll take that and draw some aspect of that and say, okay, the kingdom of heaven is like this thing. Jesus is, a ma- Jesus is a master teacher using parables to help us understand in such clear ways what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's, it's like this. And then up to this point, all the parables have, have been some aspect of comparison. We've been able to say, okay, this is like this, or that is like that. And, and yet this morning, Jesus is going to teach us a parable. He's going to give us a parable at the beginning of Luke 18 that's absolutely different than all the other parables that he's given us. And he, he does so not by way of comparison, but he'll do it by way of contrast. And so I want us to hear how Jesus presents to us who God is and what it means to be those as believers who are part of His kingdom. So I'm going to begin reading Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Here's how Luke tells the story. And he told them, this is Jesus, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said... In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so that she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him night and day? The answer is, of course he will. Will he delay long over them? Of course he won't. I tell you, verse 8, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? What's the word of the Lord? Pray he'll bless us this morning as we examine it. Well, here at the beginning of the parable, Jesus tells us right at the, the outset what the meaning of it is. He tells it so that they will always pray and not lose heart. So, so that phrase, not lose heart, it's, it's only used six times in all the New Testament. Maybe it's translated in years. So they don't grow weary or, or so they don't, they don't lose hope. It, it's used in every context about this in-between time that we live. The, the time between the, the moment we've tasted the gospel and, and we've known the grace 
of God through his son Jesus and our sins have been forgiven and we've been made new that time and in between the time when Jesus returns and and not just has the kingdom begun but the kingdom comes in all its fruition we live in the in-between time we're longing for the day of Jesus return and in fact it's it's this it's this homesickness that we feel this this homesickness for for a home we've never been to but we but we know that's what we were created for. Always pray and, and don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. Don't, don't give up. It's coming. And the context is this occasion Jesus has been teaching about when the kingdom of God comes. Some Pharisees came and said, hey, we want to know, when's the kingdom of God coming? And Jesus says to the Pharisees, well, actually, it, it's, it's already coming. It, it's coming in me and in my ministry, but, but you're too blind to see it. It's, it's not coming the way you expect it to come, and so, so you're missing it. But know this, this is just how it's starting, but when it comes finally in its fullness, in its fruition, in all of the glory, when I return as the king, it won't be missed. Nobody will miss it. It will be clear as a bell, and he's telling his disciples, hey, listen, I don't want you to not be ready. I don't want you to give up in the meantime. I don't want you to lose hope in the meantime. I, I, I don't want you to give up on longing for what is to come. Because it'll, it may feel like a long time. It may feel like it's never going to happen, but, but listen, I am returning, and in an instant, all things will be set right. So he tells them, listen, when you're tempted to lose heart, when you're tempted to, to think that it won't come, or you grow impatient, or, or you, you begin to like want to cling again to this life because you're looking for... Don't do it. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. In fact, he says, whoever seeks to preserve his life here, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, and you'll say in another gospel, for my sake, he'll keep it. Live for the life to come. He tells them to always pray. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep, keep hoping. It's easy to get discouraged and it seems like nothing's happening and it's not going to happen and God seems far away. I don't know if you've ever closed your eyes to pray and you think, I'm closing my eyes and I'm just, I'm just speaking either with words in my mind or words out of my mouth into a nothingness. Is God even there? Does he even hear me? Does he even notice me? And Jesus says, oh, oh yes, he does. And, and then he gives what I think is the most amazing parable in, in, of all the parables. But because what he's going to do is he wants us, he really wants us to not lose hope. He really wants us to fight for our faith. The way we fight for our faith is we go to God in faith, in prayer. We, we pray, even if we don't feel anything, that we would always pray and not lose heart. Look at what he does. He introduces in this parable two characters beginning in verse 2. There's a judge, a of a certain town, we're not told, we don't even know what, exactly what kind of judge it is, but we do know this about the judge. He's godless and he's full of contempt. He, he has uh, uh, no fear of God, which means he doesn't sit around wondering what God thinks. He doesn't care. 
He, it also says he, he doesn't respect man. He does not care what anybody thinks about him. That's the kind of judge we're introduced to. And then he introduces us to a widow who, who couldn't be more different than the judge. The judge has all the power. He doesn't care. He, he has contempt for everybody. This widow, she's got nothing. And if you were a widow in the first century and you had no one to turn to, you, you were at the lowest place someone could be. You were the most vulnerable place someone could be. She's powerless. It means she doesn't have a husband that she can depend on. Evidently, there's no other family there. She has no one to go to except for a judge who won't listen to her, who, who seeks to ignore her. That's all she has. She's, she's absolutely dependent. She's totally, completely desperate. But yet, as Jesus tells the parable, she's determined. She's undeterred. In verse 4, you see that this goes on for a while. I mean, we don't know. Is it, is it days? Is it weeks? Months? Is it years? It, it's, it's a long time, though. And the judge simply won't hear her. He, 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 he doesn't want to rule. He, he ignores her. Maybe, maybe it's because he absolutely doesn't care. I mean, a widow of no standing, no significance, was beneath him. She wasn't worthy of his time. Maybe the person she's in a dispute with, maybe the one that's wronged her, the, the offending party, maybe they're wealthy, maybe they're in important. Maybe he doesn't want to upset the, you know, the who's who, the, the politically um, advantageous. We're not told. But we do know, listen, there's nothing that this woman has to appeal to. There, there's no better nature in this judge for the woman to appeal to. There's no compassion for the woman to appeal. There's no sense of justice for her to appeal to. Not his favor. She has Nothing to bring. She has no bribe. She has no money. She has nothing he needs or wants. She can't even get his attention. But yet, at the end of the parable, she's successful because she was unrelenting. She wore him down. She, she was annoying him to the point, and literally in the Greek, she... she he says, she's going to give me a black eye. That's what he says. Not, not literally by hitting him, but rather emotionally. He's feeling, he's feeling totally beat up. I mean, her nonstop nagging all the time. Here's where I want to stop and say this. There are some people that feel this way when it comes to God. There are some people that feel this way when it comes to God. You think, well, he, he doesn't care. He's too, he's too busy. I mean, it's the God of the universe. He's holding all things together. He, there's no way that he could care about my little world and all of these things going on to it. My, my needs, my burdens, my desires, they're all too small. They're too petty. My, my life in the big... My life is trivial. Maybe, maybe you think this morning, you know what the truth is, I'm not important enough for him to care about me. I've never done anything great. I've never, he probably doesn't even know who I am. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm saved, but I, 
you know, I mean, I guess I have to be saved. It's not like he chose me. I mean, I just believe the thing and I'm on the team and I, you know, I, but he doesn't care. Maybe this. Maybe you don't bow your head or your heart or your knee to pray to God. Because when it comes down to it, you, you feel too ashamed or too sinful. I'm like, you know what? I've done too much wrong. I don't, I don't deserve his attention. He, he's forgotten about me or he's, he's punishing me. Right? I'm, just, look, I'm just getting what I deserve. Look, I know I'm just, I'm just getting what I deserve. I'm just... You know, the list could go on and on and on and on. The reality is the God of the universe has invited us as his children to come to him as his children in prayer. And you know what? We don't pray very much. By and large, believers who have trusted in Christ do not have a prayer life. There's a lot of reasons for it, I guess. Maybe we're too busy. Maybe we're so busy, we're, we're trying to answer our own prayers by all the things we're scheming and working at, and we're trying to be our own Savior. And yet, Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, always pray and don't lose heart. Don't give up. Fight for your faith. Your faith is not only demonstrated in prayer. Your faith grows in prayer. God, I trust you. I trust you with this thing, this anxiety, this, these things that are doing gymnastics with my heart and my soul and my mind. I'm trusting you with them. And believing, he, he hears and he knows and he sees. Because see, I, what Jesus does in this parable, absolutely, but it, it is so gracious for Jesus to, to tell this parable. Because I think what he's saying is, look, even if it's true, even if God is like this unrighteous judge, and he's not, it's contrast, he couldn't be further away from that judge. He's the exact opposite of it. But even if he is like that, Take heart. The woman prevails. Here's the invitation. Believer, come to God in prayer. Maybe let me put it another way. Bother God with your prayer. Because the reality is, you're invited to bother the God who's not bothered. You're invited to trouble the God who's not troubled. You're invited to annoy the God who cannot be annoyed by his children. In other words, let the voices of doubt and insecurity and loneliness and insignificance, let those voices be silenced. Let the inner voices that shout against you and tell you, no one's listening, God doesn't care. Let those voices be silenced by hope. Don't give up hope. Don't lose heart. 
Jesus gives such a hopeful, simple parable. Just a few words and he speaks right to the heart of every one of us, doesn't he? In verse 6, hear what the righteous judge says. Hear him. Hear the unrighteous judge. Go ahead. Hear him. And then know this. He could not be any more different from God. Because your your, your God is not anything like that unrighteous judge. In verse 7, will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him night and day? Yes, He will. Will He delay long over them? No, He won't. I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? The kind of faith that prays and doesn't lose heart. How much more is God than this unrighteous judge? In fact, the whole parable is a contrast. It's not a comparison. The judge is this unrighteous. It's the cosmic contrast between the God who knows you and loves you. A few things I think about that helps us with our understanding about God. To help us know that He's a loving, tender, gracious, heavenly Father. He hears us. He answers us. The first thing is God cares for us. Listen to these passages. Psalm 103. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Listen to Isaiah 49. It says this, Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. This is what St. Jerusalem says, the Lord's forgotten us. And then his answer is, how can a woman, how can a woman forget her nursing child? How could she have no compassion on the son of her womb? And then he says this, but even if they do forget, I won't forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hand. I've written your name on the palm of my hand. I'll never forget you. Peter's writing to believers who are being persecuted. Nero, some of the brothers and sisters that they know in their church have been taken by Nero, dipped in tar, flailed with a pole, and hung in his garden, set on fire to light his garden. And Peter writes to them and he says, listen, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because why? He cares for you. i give you one great example. If I were to ask you this morning, who is the first person in the Bible to name God, to, to give God, to call God by name. The first person in the Bible. So some of you might think, well, maybe it was Adam or, or well, no, uh, maybe Noah. Maybe, well, maybe it was Abraham. And I'd say, no, not any of those. You know who it was? It was a pagan, Canaanite, Gentile, um, unmarried, shamed woman named Hagar. Sarah's maidservant. 
She gets caught up in the scheme of Abraham and Sarah trying to trying to meet their own needs, trying to fulfill God's promise on their terms. And, and, and so she, the maidservant, Sarah, gives her to Abraham. That doesn't go well. It never does. And she gets pregnant and then gives Sarah a bad look. Or, and Sarah, Sarah casts her out into the, into the desert. And there she is in Genesis chapter 16. And she wonders, does anybody see me? Does anybody hear me? Does anybody know? And then God shows up. And He makes her the most unbelievable promise and prophesies the, the coming of her child and comforts her. And then listen to what she says in Genesis 16, 13. So she called... The name of the Lord who spoke to her. This is the first time God's name. You know what she calls Him? You are the God of seeing. For she said, truly here, I have seen Him who looks after me. Oh, friend, God sees you and knows you and cares deeply for his children. Well, there's more to say about all that, about his omniscience and his omnipresence and his omnipotence. And there are reasons God may delay the answer to our prayers. We may pray that God's not even answering. Oh, God's so gracious to us to not give us all that we ask for, for one. And two, we have no idea whether or not he may be seeking to do more than we could ask, think, or even imagine, as Paul would say in Ephesians. But we know that he can be trusted. If the Lord a thousand years are like a day, Peter says, and a day like a thousand years. Speedily by God's calendars, not speedily by ours. But we know His timing is perfect. We believe. We don't lose heart. And so we go to Him and we continue to go to Him and we pray to Him because we know He sees and we know He hears. And like the widow, we should cry out day and night to our Father in heaven. Two things I would say by way of close. One, a theology of prayer affirms this. We're, God's created us in His image, and by nature, He has created us to communicate with Him, to, to pray to Him, to go to Him. By, by nature, we, we're drawn to that. And secondly, we're told in the New Testament that after the resurrection of Jesus, He ascends to the right hand of the Father where He's waiting for His return. And at the right hand, do you know what He's doing right now? He makes intercession for us, which means He prays for us. He prays for you and for me to the Father. So not only do we address the Father and the Father hears our prayers, the, the Son seated at His right hand is praying for us and with us and advocating for us. And so going... He, He's mine and she's mine. And 
not only that, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And we find in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit takes the deepest groanings in us, the ones we can't articulate, the ones we, we know, we feel the need, we feel the burden, we don't have words for it. The Spirit of God that indwells us takes those groanings and He articulates He expresses those words and prays them to the Father on our behalf. When we pray, when we talk to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity stands at attention. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. He sent His Son to die for you so that you would live. And he says, come to me. Come to me. I'll tell you one last thing, and I almost can't believe this, but listen, God hears every prayer. You may think, well, God doesn't hear that. No, he does hear it. Every prayer. He treasures every prayer. He doesn't forget a humble word of prayer spoken to him, not a single word. In fact, the Bible says he treasures them up. He saves every single one of them, and there is a purpose. In Revelation chapter 8, just hear these words. It's the ending of the opening of the seals. It's the, it's the, it's the beginning of the end. The end has come. The, the last days have come. The six seals have been opened. And then listen to this. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We don't know of another silence in heaven. You have the four living creatures standing at the throne all day, all night, all the time, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All the time, except for this time. The last seal's open. And there's silence. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with, you know what with? The prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, rose before God. The sweet aroma of your prayers saved to the end. Not one word falls on some deaf ear of God. He hears every word you pray.